Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, I'm Travis Konechny. Hi, I'm Chuck Fletcher. Hey, this is Jeremy Roenick. Hi, this is Travis Sanheim. Hi, I'm Joel Fairby. Hi, this is Derek Broussard. Hey, I'm Scott Lawton. Hi, this is Bob Clark. And, and you're listening to Snow the Goalie. 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 Oh, yes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the People's Podcast, the Players Podcast, the Prognosticators Podcast, the Pedialyte Podcast, Presidential Podcast, the only Flyers podcast, and or very close to the deadline. We're monthish away from the NHL trade deadline. And I don't know if you've heard the rumors or not, but uh, there are some NHL rumors that you might see daily going around about your team, your town, your Philadelphia Flyers. And well, of course, they could. They may or may not surround one Captain Claude Giroux. And there are other players on this roster who apparently have caught the interest, the eye, the hearts, the minds of other front offices in the National Hockey League. And so who better to bring in than NRD himself? He's back. It's It's been a few months. It's been a while. It's been a minute, as the kids say. But he's here. NRD, thanks for coming back to Snow the Goalie. Hashtag NRD times STG. There we go. NRD. And STG, man, I feel like the rock. Finally, NRD is back on Snow the Goalie. Um, it's a pleasure, man. I love uh, chatting up with you guys and ready to kind of rip this one. I think uh, since I've last stopped in Philly in the podcast world, a lot has changed. So it's going to be an interesting one. It certainly has. And uh, I just want to address a couple of things really quick off the top here because we've gotten a number of people very frustrated in recent weeks that the Snow the Goalie crew has not all been together. Is there division? Have battle lines been drawn? No. Bundy is working on a big project that I think he's going to talk about on the podcast in the next week or two. So he's excited about that. And quite honestly, and I think he'd admit he's not very excited about the Flyers. Um, some people have left comments on the show as of late asking why we're not talking about the positives of the Philadelphia Flyers. I, I just implore people to find me what the positives are exactly. And then sure, we will absolutely talk about them. Uh, Anthony has been sick as a dog for a week. I think there's a chance that he's going to try to hop on this uh, a little bit later in the show. If he does, cool. If he doesn't, also cool. We're not sure. So that's where we're at as a show. Speaking of shows, NRD, if you haven't followed him yet on Twitter, he's got a podcast of his own and he didn't always have this podcast, but you know, you do a couple hits with Snow the Goalie and all of a sudden you get the STG rub. So you can go follow his show at Cold Stove Pod on Twitter. Find it wherever you get your podcast, Cold Stove. I was listening to it this morning. Kind of got me mentally prepped and ready for what we're about to talk about. I, I want to start with not Claude Giroux because that, that's a hot button issue. I, I, and I, I want to give that the time that it needs to breathe. And I'm sure that Anthony, if he ends up coming on, is going to want to dive into it and make some kind of nonsensical argument for why it's okay to hang on to Giroux for like the next two or three weeks and get the 1000 games and all this nonsense that I argued with people on Twitter about on Wednesday. But before we get there, I want to throw some names at you and, and let's get an idea of at least within the rest of the league, if any of these guys have value. So let's start off with a guy who has no value to this team beyond leadership is a right-handed shot defenseman is a veteran, has been known to be a reliable, maybe third pair defenseman at this point in his career, Justin Braun. Does Justin Braun have value? Are there any feelers out there right now from what you're hearing from other teams looking for a little, 
little brawn in their life. You know, it's funny because right shot defensemen are such a rare commodity that they don't necessarily have to be good or, or at the top of their game to still have value on the market. And I think that's where we're at right now with Justin Braun. I liken it to the Adam McQuaid trade that we saw from like the Rangers to Columbus a couple of years prior, where I could see that type of deal being done. Hey, it's 2 p.m. on trade deadline day. Things are unfortunately quiet after we hyped it up for so long. And now, hey, 205 hits and Justin Braun's going to a contender for a third and a fifth. You know what I mean? Like that's where I kind of see his value. In terms of fit, it's going to sound like a cop-out answer, and I'm here to give the, the rumors daily. But then again, it's anywhere. Like I said, right-handed defensemen are just a commodity around this league. There's not too many of them. It's always good to have a guy who can play the right hand with a right-hand shot who can play the left side, a stick towards the middle of the ice. It is a thing in this league that has value. So you're really looking anywhere. I, I mean, this it's not making that much. I believe, what did you say? It's like 1.35 or something like that for the rest of the season. Yeah. He's a UFA at the end of the year. You're renting him. It's not It's not highly intuitive to make that deal. Very low-level stuff. That's why I'm saying maybe that third to fifth round pick range, conditional thing thrown in there, maybe a contract the other way if a team really can't afford it, which I doubt because he doesn't make that much money. But that's like a deadline day move. He'll have value somewhere, but he's not staying on this team, this team in the Flyers at least. Let's go to another defenseman who um, I can't imagine has a ton of value, um, who happened to set uh, an impressive streak and is friends with some guys on this team, but realistically does nothing of value for this, this club this year or probably beyond. And that's Keith Yandel. Is, is there any way that a team in this league right now looks at Keith Yandel as anything more than like a number seven defenseman and decides that they're going to part with even a late round pick? Probably not. That being said, though, and I'm going to shamelessly self-plug this most recent episode of the Cold Stove Pod we just did. We like to do this thing on the show called like hashtag makes sense. Because obviously I have the information, but sometimes, you know, it's a podcast. we got to fill some air a little bit. So there's more so speculatory stuff going on. The only team that I think makes sense for Keith, because he hasn't been good for like three or four seasons now, let's be honest. I mean, he hasn't been good in Philly. He hasn't really been good in Florida. Tampa, because they can use the depth. They want to make another run. The, the Kevin Hayes kind of click camp that he's a part of. Obviously, you got Pat Maroon down there in Tampa. He fits right in. He's comfortable with the state of Florida. It's income tax-free. Might be a unique fit for him. He's only making less than a million. He can fit on that blue and they can afford him. So if you're looking at any team in this league that, could, that might want to make a move and give up like a six for Keith Handel, I see it being the Tampa Bay Lightning. Short of that, I don't know much else. And I wonder if he might just park and stay in Philly because he's friends with a lot of guys in that locker room and whatnot. It's an interesting idea here too, in that Yandel is one of, I think three guys on the team that have any kind of a no trade clause or a no movement clause. He's got a no trade clause. Um, it Tampa is an interesting idea insofar as like, what was it that Yandel was good at last year? What situations was he good at? Or, or good in. It was those moments where Florida were, were, was able to shelter him, right? And so there's so much talent on Tampa that you can kind of live with mediocre FS five-on-five play if you need it, or if there's an injury in your lineup or you're just trying to rotate somebody in, like putting him in as a third-pair defenseman and then maybe bolstering your power play from time to time, like certainly isn't a bad thing on your second power play unit. 
it can't hurt as you go deeper into the playoffs. And obviously the belief is that Tampa Bay is going to go far into the playoffs, if not win another Stanley cup. So that makes sense. Um, all right. So we, we've got him off now, since we're on the Kevin Hayes click, I guess that brings us uh, Derek Broussard. Could Derek Broussard make sense for another team? That's been a name that we've kind of bantered back and forth a, a decent amount of times on this show. Broussard, if healthy, and can be dealt. Is there value in a guy that's a bottom six forward at this point? The role that he plays, there's a ton of value in. My question with Derek Broussard, and he's my honorary recipient of the Tomas Vanek trade deadline award. The guy gets moved like every year now. And as as stupid and silly as this is about to sound, my question with Broussard is all the contenders that are looking for centers right now, He's basically played for in the last like three or four years. I mean, he's been in Colorado. He's been across the map. So if there's a deal to be made, like these teams had an opportunity to sign him in the offseason. I know that happens very often with a bunch of different players. So I'm not trying to sound like naive here, but at the same time, he's kind of been around the block and the teams that have been looking into the center market have either been going for bigger names and Colorado, just certain bigger name on the flyers that we'll get to in a little bit, but like, that's kind of where I'm alluding to with Broussard. I don't know if a team's going to step up to fan because there's other guys on the market, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a little less of a health risk that are in play in that third to fourth line center kind of role. Mm-hmm. And they, all these teams have had a crack at Broussard past couple of seasons and off seasons, and they haven't taken that shot. So that's where I'm at at Derek Broussard. I don't really know if that, that role is a fit, but I don't know if the person is a fit. And that's not a slight to him. He's a great guy for all I know, but like just – him at his age and his capability. I don't know if he's the right fit for a lot of these teams. We've had him on the show before. So he gets the snow, the goalie bump, and he gets the uh, seal of approval wherever he goes off to the, the thing is, I guess you look at, at acquisitions that teams that are kind of like bubble, say like a bubble ish team, right? One that, that could use a little bit of veteran leadership. I, I don't know if uh, a Rangers makes sense as a depth signing. He has played there before. Obviously that was under a, a different head coach, one who's no longer here either. Um, like he kind of makes sense for a team like that. Maybe that's looking for a little veteran bump, kind of like a few years ago when the flyers went out and they acquired, um, Nate Thompson at the deadline, they acquired Derek Grant before the deadline. And and you, you just kind of look at, they're not the kind of guys that are going to really exponentially increase your ceiling, but they're, there is a good insurance plan in the event that you lose somebody down the stretch here, or if you get to the postseason and there's like a a freak injury, you have a guy for started you know, for, for flaws that I think people had pointed out in his game when he was first brought in here, when he was healthy in the earlier part of the season, he was a solid enough contributor on this team. There has to be value for that kind of guy. He's a UFA at the end of the year. Like I, you're going to probably know this within moments, but like I look at this team and, and what it is and it's bad and it's very bad. And that's good. I like very bad right now. Very bad means better draft pick mediocre is bad and having a good strong finish to the season is even worse so any of these guys that are potential ufas at the end of the year that could potentially be healthy and dealt should be dealt in the world in which i live so brassard makes sense to go here's another ufa that boy i i don't think it's going to send up any flags i don't think it's going to alarm anyone but like martin jones Martin Jones has had decent stretches this year where he almost, you know, in a way made some of us 
in the media in Philadelphia look really bad because he was horrible in the preseason. And then he had a nice couple of stretches where he looked like better than a competent backup goalie. And then he hits the skids again. So he, he is a mixed bag as a backup goalie, but again, you're looking at depth. Is there a chance that Martin Jones could be dealt? And if so, what kind of real draft capital could the flyers get back for a guy like him? Well, we know it's not a fifth round pick because if you listen to 32 thoughts and Elliot, Chuck Fletcher's thwarted that aside already. And that was from Edmonton. So there's some value that the front office has in him. And for right reasons, like you mentioned, he's had decent stretches. He's had bad stretches, but all in all, I would like to think and say as, as someone that, you know, watches the play of goaltenders that he's revitalized, revitalized his career to some degree in Philly. He's not what we thought Martin Jones was going to be way back when, but he's playing decently. I like that word. I think now with Jones going forward, obviously Carter Hart is out till when he t- uses some eye drops. I don't know when that's going to be. We'll figure <laughs> that out soon. So there is there is need for Martin Jones on that roster right now. That's why I don't see this deal happening any sooner than like March 20th, if it does happen. The thing with Martin Jones and why I could see him staying in Philly despite being a UFA is that there's a lot of comers and goers on this goaltending market right now. Obviously, you got the big names. You got the Marc-Andre Fleury out there. You got whatever Columbus does with Merzlikens or Corpus Allo, probably Corpus Allo over Merzlikens at this point. You have potentially Vili Husso in St. Louis that could become available. You have Georgiev, who's younger. He's an RFA, and he's potential backup for many teams around this league. As we start to add names, even we could throw Semyon Varlamov on there, Vitek Vanacek, Ilya Samsonov. We can go on all day and talk about goaltenders that are potentially in play here. As we add names to that list, I think Martin Jones, because of his inconsistencies, gets pushed down that list a little bit. Sure. I could see a world where he just gets pushed down that you know pecking order there to the point where Chuck Fletcher says, hey, I'm not, I didn't want to take a fifth from Edmonton. I don't really want to take a fourth from a team that's better than Edmonton because that's almost like a middle fifth round pick at that point. So like, mm-hmm. I think there's a threshold here where, yeah, he's a UFA and yes, the Flyers have been very bad and I'm not here to beat up on the team, but like you might just want to hold on to him and not sell off all your rentals because A, you can use them. Obviously we see here now with Carter Hart, you need him in that because we can't just throw anybody out there to the Wolves. I know we want to be bad here, but we need, you know, competency. And there's a threshold of if we're not going to get the value we want out of him because there's all these other guys in the market, these teams, he's playing F, playing, you know, H for these teams, then why move him now? And I think that's where we're at with Martin Jones on the market. I just think that the saturation of the goaltending market, where others have said that the goaltending market is kind of barren right now, I actually think it's oversaturated with names that potentially are in play here might all be like shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic with, you know, Flory potentially going to this team, this guy's goalie going this way. Might just be musical chairs, but that being said, there is saturation if that happens. And I think Martin Jones just falls down that list as the, as the names enter. It's almost unfortunate in a way, right, that that Hart is dealing with what he is because, to your point, it, it does kind of uh, remove the, the potential sense of urgency to get a deal done before some of these other guys hit the market. I, I wonder... If the Flyers were to believe that there is a legitimate opportunity here for, uh, you know, uh, some kind of a, a mid to late round pick for Jones, if they just say, you know what, this is going to be Kirill Stomenko's team, 
for a week or for a week and a half. Uh, and they're just going to kind of ride him until Carter Hart comes back. Like maybe that makes sense and, and maybe it doesn't, uh, but it, it certainly would be an interesting move if they did opt to, uh, to move on from Martin Jones, but we'll see I, to your point, you get closer to the deadline and more of these, you know, more legitimate, let's say players start to hit the market. It is going to be hard for any team to rationalize a Martin Jones. All right. So let's go to another name. We've pretty much ticked off any, Okay, let's go back to defensemen really quick. And I see that uh, my my friend, my dear colleague, Anthony Sanfilippo is here. He is muted. I'm not sure why. Maybe that was me. Um, yeah, you muted me. Because your, your mic does this weird skipping thing. We're not going to talk about it right now. But we talked about Martin Jones. We talked about Justin Braun. We talked about Keith Yandel and Derek Broussard. I want to start getting into some of the juicier names now because there are there's two camps right now, I think, with the Flyers blue line that needs to be addressed. There are those right now who believe that Ivan Provorov is going to continue to tank his value if he's not like if he continues to play this out and he doesn't have a top guy next to him, the, the guy that Ryan Ellis was supposed to be. If he doesn't have it, there's a chance that he's going to continue to crater value. Then you're going into next season again where you're relying on Ryan Ellis to come in and, and kind of save the day. There are some people who think that like it's just kind of time to cut bait. Provorov's a second pair defenseman. That is what it is. Get some kind of value back. Clear some of that cap space because he's making six, six and three quarter million for the next three years beyond this one. And then there's like another camp that thinks Travis Sanheim only has one year left on his deal. He's making just under $5 million. It seems like there are teams that could be interested in a guy like Sanheim. So um, let's throw it to you first on this, does it make sense to move a guy like Ivan Provorov? And would there be teams in this league right now that could afford the guy and would be willing to trade something other than a draft pick for Ivan Provorov? There are teams that are able to afford Ivan Provorov. My concern, if I was representing the Flyers here, would be that there's a better version of that out there not necessarily the same role that they play, the same style of the game. There's a vet, better version out there in Jacob Chikrin, who's way overpriced right now. And I think that if you're going to spend the assets on a younger defenseman, you know, no, no slight against Ivan here, but I think it's no secret I'd rather Jacob Chikrin than Ivan Provorov right now. So if I'm going to move premium assets for a younger defenseman to turn things around, it's going to be Chikrin over Provorov. That's my concern there. But then again, I mean, We've seen that Chuck Fletcher, you know, for all of his faults and the things that he's, we could say he's done right and wrong over his tenure here so far, he did go out and get Ryan Ellis, right? Like we didn't expect Ryan Ellis to be hurt and kind of out and Provorov to tank his value to the point where it is. He did make the move to get somebody on that pairing with Provorov to up his game. So there is a world where if you keep Provorov, Chuck Fletcher is going to continue to seek out the defense, whether it's Ryan Ellis coming back healthy, whether it's potential options. We never know what happens in the offseason. Teams always go into cap constraints where the, a guy that doesn't necessarily want to be moved ends up being moved. I look at Minnesota. It's a name that we've been talking about for so long now, Matthew Dumba. They're going to be in cap hell in the next three or four seasons with, you know, dead money from the buyouts that they've had from extensions that are coming down the pike. So like there's a lot going on in Minnesota too, that would lead credence to maybe somebody like a Dumba being available. So that's why if you're, if you're Chuck Fletcher, yeah, there's teams that'll pay the value for Provorov. Probably not today because 
Chikrin's name is out there. And when you have a guy like that on the market, you're going to put all your attention and assets towards getting a deal done there. But I, I personally, I mean, if you're asking me, I say you hold on to him because Chuck Fletcher has shown that he's somewhat committed to going out and getting a guy to work on his pair. It was Ryan Ellis, who knows if it is going to be in the future, if he's not healthy or if he doesn't play to the capability and caliper that he has been in the past after post-injury. But you hold on to him because the, the urgency and the, the acknowledgement from the front office is there that we need to get a guy on this, you know, on this guy's side paired with him to up his game. So, you know, yeah, his value might tank out a little bit more throughout the rest of the regular season, but it's more of one of those state of the course, trust the process things. I know we love hearing that in Philly, that if you wait and see what kind of opens up this offseason by way of other defensemen on the market, you can rebuild that decor. And now Proveroff's a part of it. You have him, he's team controlled. He's, you know, he's there. He's familiar with the system. He's familiar with the organization. We don't have to just change for the sake of making change here just because the team isn't performing well. That's my opinion, at least. And we talked about this a year ago, right? About Ivan Provorov, about a potential deal for Patrick Line that Chuck Fletcher thought about, thought about, contemplated, considered, and ultimately ruled against. In the aftermath of it and knowing like where his value could be right now at the moment across the league, was it a mistake to not deal him a year ago? No. No, I, I, if I, if even going back, I don't, I don't necessarily know I would make that trade. Um, it's good to see you, my friend, NRD, by the way. What's going on, man? I wanted, I, wanted to, I wanted to throw that out there. I mean, we didn't really have a chance to say hi since I was late joining the program today. Um, Glad to have you, though. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. But no, I, I think that, uh, you know, I, going back and looking at that deal and obviously looking at how things have gone um, for Line A in Columbus, I, I think that that's a, a situation that's going to, you know, and relatively soon as well. Um, I, I, I don't necessarily think that that would have been, I think Chuck did the right thing. You know, we thought about it. I think he did the right thing holding on to Provorov. And I think they're going to hold on to him again here, um, even into the off season. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I, I think that they recognize what he is at this point. I think that they know that there is, that he's never going to, or maybe I should say never going to be, but he's probably not going to be the prototypical number one defenseman in, uh, for, for a hockey team. That being said, they have seen in the past, as you guys have talked about, how he performs with a solid NHL defenseman next to him. We talk about it with, you know, the year with Matt Niskanen. Um, and they feel, I think they want to, they want they made the investment in Ellis to play with him. And I think that they want to give it a chance to, to happen. So I think you're going to see, Provorov Ellis as a pairing next season. Now, if we're into next season, and I mean, I, you know, assume we're assuming Ellis is healthy, right? We're we're into next season, and they're playing as a pair, and Provorov's still not back to where he was when he played with Matt Niskanen. I think at that point, they might sit there and go, "Okay, let's see if there's value with for this guy out on the market somewhere." But I do believe that they're going to they're going to give that another shot. And I, I don't necessarily think that's a, a bad idea. I, I really don't. I think when you look at it, you know, you made the commitment you made to Ryan Ellis for the purpose of making that be your top top defensive pair for the next five seasons. Why would you give up on it? Because Ellis had an injury this, this year, you know what I'm saying? And it didn't work out. And Provorov's been, you know, not himself because of that. I, I would say, you know, and I know people don't like to say punt to the, you know, oh, it's just just bad luck, punt the next year. We've been doing that for a decade. I get that. But in some instances, 
you have to really kind of look at it, you know, in that vacuum and say, okay, in this case, we got to at least let them see if they work together. If they don't, if Provorov doesn't get back to being what he was, I'm on board with moving it, moving on from Ivan Provorov. But I think you got to at least give it the opportunity to see if Provorov Ellis works as a top pair. So there's one there's one scenario where maybe it, it makes sense either at this deadline or in the offseason to to part with him before you get to see what he is with Ryan Ellis, right? Like NRD, right now, would you say that there are any teams in the league right now that view Ivan Provorov as a top pair defenseman? Maybe not a number one, but a guy that that they believe could be a, a top pair guy. Not today. Surely there's teams out there that think that they can bring him in in their system because everybody's a little egotistical in this league. So there's many coaches out there, general managers, that think here he'll be a number two defenseman. He's not today, but once we get him in our doors, he can be. But as of now, no. If that's if you're asking today, no. There's no team that thinks he slots in on their number two pair or their top two pair. Which is the the concern, I guess, is that if if there were a team that looked at him as if they thought he could potentially slot into a top pair or could potentially earn his way onto a top pair it could be catastrophic to his value if next year he's put in the advantageous position of being next to Ryan Ellis and still fails because then his, his value or his perceived value tanks even more. Maybe it's hard because right now you would be dealing what is effectively a distressed asset, but there is always the potential downside that it does get worse. Travis Sanheim, could there be a market for Sanheim if not right now in the off season? You going to me first or going to NRD? Either of you. Well, I'll, I'll take it first. Take um, it. Yeah, no, I, I, could there be? Yes. I don't think it's, I don't think it's here. I don't think it's at the deadline. Um, I think that Chuck's primary focus at the deadline is going to be to move the unrestricted free agents that are on this roster. That's good. He's not going to turn over 10 players right at the deadline. It just yeah. doesn't happen. Um, so I think it's the, the uh, UFAs are going to be those guys. That said, I, I think that those conversations are still at least happening. Um, and we've, we, you know, if you remember last year when we talked about when the Ellis trade happened, you know, we talked with Chuck about it prior to it happening. We had reported it prior to it happening. Mm-hmm. And Chuck then afterwards, after it happened, admitted that he laid the groundwork for the deal at the deadline the previous season with Nashville. So I mean, those, kind, those kinds of trades you talk about them and you get them ready for maybe, hey, this is not something we're going to do right now, but come June, July, we're going to make this deal. I certainly think there is that possibility. Now, that being said, Sandheim's probably been their best defenseman this year. If we're watching games, I mean, it's, I don't know, it's like, it's like yeah, it's not that, that's not high praise considering how bad the team is this year, right? But he's probably been their best defenseman. I mean, it's, you know, I mean, I, I love the effort Justin Braun gives, but Justin Braun is limited. Ristolainen's been okay. I mean, not been bad. He's not been great, but he's not been bad. Um, and then Provrov's obviously, we already discussed him, and you're not touching anybody on the third pair. So I can't believe you're not uh, giving Keith Yandel the, the love and support that he <laughs> so, so, I mean, so you sit there and say, well, you know, maybe you, they, maybe you debate it a little bit. Maybe you sit there and go, Gee, I don't know. I mean, do we move on from Sanheim? He's got value, but he was our best defenseman. Maybe with, maybe once we get that defense in place and we see how it fits, maybe maybe it'll work. And you know, because he's certainly proving himself as a second pair guy, 
maybe that's, you know, that's what we do. We just hold on to him. I, I think a lot will determine be determined by what else Chuck does. I think, it, I think it's one of those situations and, and, you know, and I'll let NRD dive in on this a little bit too, because a lot of times it's, it's putting puzzle pieces together. Right. And so therefore, if this happens, we talked about as a flow chart last year, right? If this happens, then we don't have to do this. But if this doesn't happen, then we do have to do this. You know, so it depends on what the returns are on these other deals or other situations that they might be able to do with free agency and, and the draft and the like. So maybe, so I think he's one of those situations where if, it, if they don't get what they need to get to go into next year, then maybe you move on from Sanheim and you have that deal in your back pocket that you start talking about now. But if not, maybe say, you know what? We don't have to get rid of him. Maybe we could do okay and uh, and hang on to him. So I think that's kind of where they're at with, with Travis Sanheim. It's a good answer. I think that, you know, I don't want to just piggyback off everything you said because you kind of hit the talking points on the Sanheim situation. I think the, the main thing here is, and I'm going to use this word a lot, change for change's sake, right? Like we know that the team has performed to the, you know, what they are today. I don't necessarily think that parlays into, we have to make a move of a guy like Sanheim. I think much like you said, it's the off season. A lot of dominoes could fall. The defensive market, we could say is maybe a little saturated right now with the names out there potentially in play. The Flyers have a couple of UFAs of their own that they're looking to move. So there's a lot of names out there. Does he slot in to the point where, you know, do we want to move him at, the, at this point in time or do we wait to the offseason where dominoes could fall, guys come off the market, new names enter the market. Then you're looking at a point where he might be one of the top names on the market, depending on what's available right. and other moves could be set up. You don't want to wreck what you have there. You're trying to build, like I've said, you know, a couple minutes ago when we were discussing the Provorov situation, Chuck Fletcher has tried to rebuild this defensive core. Not perfect. Then again, Rome wasn't built in a day. So if you allow this thing to kind of evolve over the course of another offseason, you say this year was an anomaly and who knows if that's the case, but you set yourself up more in the off season. You bring in a coach permanently. You see what the system is going to be like. You interview candidates. You see what they're looking for out of defensemen. And then you have a better idea of what you really have in Sanheim and Sanheim. So that's, I agree with your points there. I think it's all based on dominoes falling in the off season. You have that deal ready to go. Discussions happen all the time with these guys and you know what you got heading into, you know, June and July. So there's, there's one defenseman left that, that really could generate some actual trade traffic. And of course, that's Nick Sealer. Just kidding. Rasmus Ristolainen, uh, Chuck Fletcher traded what was seen by some as a king's ransom for a defenseman that had long been thought of as underachieving in Buffalo. He just needed a better situation. He comes to Philadelphia, which is obviously a much better situation this year. It has been nothing but success for this team. We've really gotten to see what Ristolainen has to offer. He's 27. He's UFA at the end of the year. Seems almost borderline inconceivable that after spending his career in Buffalo and now being part of whatever this was this year, that he's going to feel the impotence to uh, re-sign right before the deadline. I can't imagine this is a Scott Lawton situation from a year ago where it was like, all right, well, because remember, Chuck Fletcher was on the show and explained the Lawton thing as, we knew that if we were going to trade him, we were going to have to then go out in the offseason and acquire a guy just like him for the upcoming season. So instead, it just made more sense to just re-sign the guy instead of, you know, acquire assets and, and go that route. Ristolainen is, at best, a luxury that a good team should have as a second-pair defenseman, maybe a third-pair defenseman, certainly not a top-pair guy. And at just under $5.5 million, one has to assume he's going to somehow believe that he's worth more 
I can't imagine that a Flyers roster that has an Ivan Provorov question mark at just under 7 million, a Ryan Ellis size six and a quarter million dollar cap hit for the next like five seasons and whatever Travis Sanheim may or may not be at just under 5 million. Like I can't imagine putting another big money defenseman that probably isn't worth the money on this team long-term. So NRD, uh, is there a belief within league circles that the Flyers will re-sign Rasmus Ristolainen before the deadline, or is it a foregone conclusion that the guy is going to be dealt? I don't believe that Chuck Fletcher doesn't want to re-sign Rasmus Ristolainen. From what I know, and I've been pretty clued into this, believe it or not, is that Rasmus you talk about how much he thinks he's going to get on the open market. I'll tell you right now, he thinks it's upwards of six and a half on the open market. And his camp truly believes that he's the type of defenseman that's going to prove his value in a seven game series. So could he do that? Possibly. We haven't really seen him on a good team in his career. Let's not act like Buffalo was, you know, crushing it. But like you said, it's a luxury for this team right now. Do you move him? I personally believe that there's a significant, significant chance. And I another shameless plug here mentioned it on the cold stove pod that I believe Chuck Fletcher recoups what he gave up for Rasmus Ristolainen, not necessarily the 14th overall pick, but a first round pick upwards of that, just based on the market and what happens with defensemen this time of year. You see Chickering go off the board. You see Ben Sherratt go off the board to a contender, like say Florida acquires Sherratt or, or St. Louis acquires him. Chickering either stays in you know Arizona or goes to LA. And now teams start to panic, right? Because who's left? John Klingberg? We don't, you know, the stars don't necessarily know what they want to do with him either because he wants out. They don't want to pay him, but the stars are still in the thick of things in the West. So as these names kind of come off the board, Rasmus Tristelainen's price jumps up and up and up as we hit March 21st. So if you're Chuck Fletcher, I think you play the cards where you just sit there and watch these defensemen go off the board to the point where Rasmus Stalina is now the top guy on the board for a contender that's looking for that second or third pairing guy that provides that grit. And then, hey, if he wants to go chase six and a half in the offseason, let him go chase because that's what he's going to do anyway. I don't think that Rasmus Stalina was signing a deal without going to July 1st with this Flyers organization. That yeah. I have on pretty good merits, too. He was going to test the market no matter what, even if he returns, because he thinks he's worth a lot more. So let him go explore and if he's the type of guy that the Flyers want, so they paid a little bit early to get him. There's no, there's no rule that says they can't, you know, pursue him in the offseason if the Flyers think this is we're going to turn this around and then we can use a guy of his services. But right now, I think you wait as this gets closer to the deadline and the market starts to dwindle on the defensive side because you know Montreal's going to make that Chirot move sooner than later, especially now that he got injured. It kind of set panic mode into place there. Like, hey, we got to do this before it's too late. That there's a potential day in the next, you know, three and a half weeks because it's now less than a month out that Rasmus just aligned is one of the premier guys on the defensive market. That's funny. That is to say. So if he plays his cards, right. I think you recoup what you gave up for him. Not necessarily the 14th overall pick, like I said, but you can get a first plus for Rasmus just aligning if the defensive market starts to dwindle. Let me ask you a question on this. If he's to sign as a free agent next season, even no matter what happens, whether he stays with the flyers, um, whether he gets traded, whatever the case might be. What, what do you, where, where do you see him signing for? Like, what do you think his value is? What, you know, term and, and dollars? Personally, if I'm signing the contract? Yeah, I mean, what do you, I mean, what do you think yeah. his market is? I mean, I mean where, where is he roughly? You don't have to give me an exact, like, it's going to be X, but it's going to be no, I, I think about it's, something. 
it's not longer than three or four years. And it's in that five and a half range. I think yeah. you give him a little bit of a pay raise. I don't think you go up to six and you're certainly not close to six and a half because with the way the market's going, the salary cap remaining flat for another season, you're going to, you know, you need that money to pay your top guys. Like we've seen defensive extensions come across the pike over the past couple of months. Obviously a guy like Adam Fox is going to get paid top dollar. McCarr's coming up soon. He was signed an extension. So like the big money defensemen are going to get paid. You need guys that are making five and a half to fill out your books. Otherwise you're going to be in trouble. So if you're a team, if I'm looking to sign a guy like Rasmus Pistolina, who I believe for all the knocks against him and the jokes about Rasmus and what he's done in Buffalo, I think he does provide a little bit to the lineup. He plays, you know, we always talk about Rasmus being a big guy, but he doesn't really play necessarily a physical game when you actually watch him. I think he's there and I think he plays his role pretty well. So you pay him in that five and a half range, but I don't go much more than that. What if I told you the Flyers offered him six years, 38, and he said no? I believe it. Is, I believe then it. The Flyers, I, then it's then, nuts then, to and, me. And then the Flyers and curse warning for kids in the car are fucking idiotic and incompetent at a level that we cannot even begin. I wasn't going to get angry today. But the concept that they would lock themselves in to a six-year deal for a maybe second-pair defenseman at over $6 million a year, are you fucking kidding me? I oh, sure here's the question. Not true. They, here's that the is, question you have to... No, well, I mean, I'm, just, I'm just telling you what was discussed. Um, six years, 625 per year. But, um, Pause. Here's look at the money they have. Like, look at the money they have committed to the blue line. Where the hell does that make any sense? Well, the the thought process is by the time you get to years five and six, that's actually a discount because your your middle, your third and fourth. Jeez. Well, no, it's no, 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 no. I mean, because I mean, you're not severely overpaying. I mean, like NRD just said, five and a half is about right for a middle pair defenseman. So if you're if you have to give him a little bit more to stay because he's you're you're buying up his free agency, you're giving him an extra seven hundred and fifty thousand a year for four years to buy up his free agency. Is that is that ridiculous? I, I don't necessarily yes. think so. No, I think that the term might be a little bit long. Six years. Like I would I would that's where I'm I have more of a problem with the term than I do with the money. I think that you the said money six years is 38. Well, it's six, yeah, six, whatever, six point two five times six, whatever the hell that is. Okay, so I was going to say, because you're at about, you're, you're at, you'd be at 6.3. That's insane. Yeah. That is lunacy. That is organizational malpractice. There, there are disagree, so many. I, I disagree with you on that. Not to say that, not to say that I would, I personally would offer that money, but I could, I could see what the rationale is there. Because if you're, if, if he's going to get five and a half and he's the kind of player that's going to get that kind of money from any team anywhere, then if you want, if you believe in him on your roster, is it, you're buying his free agency is what you're doing. You're basically saying, we understand you could be a free agent. We're going to reward you by not going into free agency to stay with us. And you get a little bit extra each season. And maybe the way it averages out, maybe he gets more up front and less in the back end. And it just averages to 6.25 or, or vice. It's probably vice versa because with the, um, uh, I, I would bet with the escrow, right? NRD, I would bet that the, it's backloaded more than backloaded front, now, more now, than anything else, more than anything else, right? So um, I bet that the agents are probably like, yeah, you know, you know, we want it more on the back end. <laughs> but even still, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, I, look, I mean, in, in if you're if we're looking at the twenty 
27, 2028 season and your middle pair defenseman's making six and a half, is that league average? Probably. Yeah, down the down the line when you know the pass kind of expands it's, a little bit more. Yeah, down, no, down the line. But I'm gonna I'm gonna switch teams here really quick, just you know, to kind of close off close off Ant's point. If the Flyers are giving you six point three, and now I'm now Ristolainen's agent, and I know that I'm, I know that I have a client that hey, this guy's built for the playoffs. This guy was born to play playoff hockey. If I'm getting six point three from these guys, why wouldn't I just continue to test the market? Maybe I'll get seven. Bingo. Maybe Florida yep. will give me seven. Maybe. Maybe Tampa Bay will give me eight. I know they don't. I'm just throwing out names. Here, yeah, no, sure. Contenders, they don't have the space. But, like, maybe I'll get more and more and more. So, you know, it doesn't surprise me that the Flyers offer that. It also doesn't surprise me that Ristolainen declined it because if they're going to give him that, he's going to continue to test this market as we get closer to July 1st to see what's out there because a better team should pay more for a guy that he thinks he could – the services that he could provide. Now, here's the gamble. Here, Here's where you have to question whether the agent and the player are gambling a little bit too much, Okay. Um, obviously they feel like they're built for the playoffs, right? Like you just said, I a hundred percent, that's the thing. It's funny that you say that because that's exactly what the agent and the player have told the flyers. They believe that they believe that his value will increase once he plays playoff games. And so, so if he turns this down and the flyers are left, no other choice, but to trade him. And like you said, recoup what, you know, most of what they traded away for him. Um, and he goes and plays in a playoff. What if he goes and plays in a playoff and does not perform as well? Are you then, if you're the if you're the agent and the player, leaving money on the table that you that you could have had? That just because I mean, maybe you have a bad series, maybe maybe you get hurt and you only end up playing a game, two games, and then pff, that's it. And then people are like, oh yeah, Rasmus or Salina, remember him? You know, I mean, he's only going to get five million now, and, and you left all that money on the table. Like I look at it and say. Is it worth the gamble for the extra one or two, three million dollars over the course of five, six years to maybe risk losing less than what more than that if you don't have the performance that you think that you could have? Again, this this is you talk about the arrogance thing that teams have that they feel like they can their systems will work and fix the players. I think sometimes the players and the agents feel the same way and cost themselves money. I don't this disagree is, with that. It's a game of life. This is how you end up with a team that has an inflated cap that is underachieving and misses the playoffs. This is unfathomable. It is absolutely ludicrous. I'm going to turn into Stephen A. Smith. Off, you're off this your is rocker. Not, no, Anthony, let me ask you a you're question. You're off your rocker. Where, 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 does, where does Rasmus Ristolainen rank as a defenseman in the league? Top what? Uh, is he, is he, is, well, let's say, let's look at, look at it this way. There's 32 teams. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to put in your top, top four, does the question that I, the question that you're asking me is, does he belong in the top 128 defensemen in the NHL? The answer is yes. Sure. And he's but probably, he, and he's probably, is, is he one of the, he's well, probably do, in the top, right, so I would say that. he's probably in the top half of that. He's probably in the, the top, top 60, top 60. And so, yeah, I don't necessarily disagree. 64. I don't necessarily yeah. disagree with you. So let me throw some numbers your way. If Rasmus Ristolainen were to sign a contract at 6.25 million, let's just say AAV, we can look at it next year. We can look at it the year after the year after 2024, 2025. Do you know where that would rank him? Top 30, top 30. Okay. But that's, but you're also is, not considering. Let me give, let me tell you something, Mr. Math, 
math whiz over there. What you're not considering is are the players, players that are on, on young on are gonna, younger lower deals. Yes. Yes. So younger players, number one. It. It's still insane. And then, and then number two, you're also not considering new new other defensemen who are going to get contracts that are going to bolster that. It's going to raise that number. So he's probably going to fall a little further. He's probably going to fall into the into the 40s. Okay. So let's say, let's just for argument's sake, which let's say he's top, number 60 top in the top. NHL. For argument's sake, let's say he's number 60. And you're paying him like number 45, just so he doesn't have to go out into free agency. Is it that egregious of a, of a, of an upgrade that it's that it's organizational malpractice that he would that you would pay him that kind of money to bump him up ahead of 15 other defensemen financially? No, it's not. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say to you. Because what you're doing is logical gymnastics to try to make it work. And it's it if this were in a vacuum as a this is the the signing that we're focusing on relative to his value now where you think he's going to be and all of these younger guys get re-signed to higher AAV and where the league might be in two or three years and when the cap goes up and all this it's fine what's the problem the problem is that you still are locked into large cap hits for the next three four years that blue line is expensive. So unless the idea is that you're going to trade away Ivan Provorov in the offseason or next year, and or Travis Sanheim, you are paying a you're paying Boku bucks for a blue line that like might be okay, but you also have other legitimate issues elsewhere that you need to address with this team. That's the problem. I I, I don't have let Rasmus Ristolainen be somebody else's six and a half million dollar mistake. You know what? You know what? You can you could do what you can do. You want to talk about gymnastics? You could do. You could spend all that money on forwards all you want. You could do what Edmonton does. You could do what Toronto does, and not win every year. To me, I will spend the money on my top four defensemen and my goalie, and figure it out from there. It's 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 to me that's where you win in the playoffs. Your top four defensemen and your goaltender. Yes, it would be great to have. We've we've had this discussion before. Yes, it would be great to have. You know, star scoring player. We we agree. Everybody agrees on that. At the root of every championship team in hockey is very good defense and good goaltending. That's that's just it's the nature of the game. It's the nature of the game. And so so therefore, yeah, I'm I'm willing to pay that for now. Not to say now that said. I'm not. I'm not opposed to this. I'm not opposed to trading wrist aligning and, let, and letting him go. Go get your money somewhere else. I'm okay with that too. I'm just saying that the Flyers' offer is not a bad offer. And here's what I'm going to say. I mean, NRD said he thinks they can get a first round pick for him. I agree. Here's the question: Are teams going to give up those first round picks in 23, or are they going to insist no. that they got to be 22? NRD, 22. what do you think? 2023 draft is stacked. We've talked about this a lot, you know, on my show. Other people have talked about it. That draft, with how much top talent is in that, the depth that's going to get pushed down that draft board into the late end of the first round there is going to be tremendous. You're going to see players that are top 15 any other year mm-hmm. go 28th in that draft next year, especially when you got guys like, you know, Bedard and Medvey, Michkov, who I think, I think, you know, really brief, I think Michkov's better than Bedard. So if we want to talk about talent in that draft, that draft is a talented class. So I see a lot of these teams protecting, you know, we saw the uh, talented Foley deal the other day protected this year, but it's also protected next year. I believe that first that went from uh, Calgary to Montreal. So teams know that next year is the big, the big apple in terms of uh, the prize at the end of the road for, for the draft picks. So yeah, I think they're much more reluctant to give up those picks. But if you're a, if you're a team 
that you know you're going to be picking kind of towards the end of that draft or you feel like your your window to win at Stanley Cup is open here this year next year you know next two three years and you kind of have a, a belief that you're going to be picking somewhere 25 to 32 you know for example are you more willing to take that chance if you think that we need one more defenseman to lock this down for the playoffs and then give you up are. you give up that 23 pick instead of the 22 pick you are, and I'll tell you why, because the team that's not good that's giving up the defenseman really values that 2023 pick to move around that board. Yep. So that's where it comes into play. If you're a team like Philadelphia, like Montreal, like these teams that are selling off, and then you're a team on the other side of the thing that's a contender that's looking for that defenseman is St. Louis of Florida, you might be more open to giving up the 2023 pick, A, because, yeah, it's a deep draft, but it's at the end of the first round, and a team like Montreal or Philadelphia is really going to value that 2023 first to move around that board. Big news, Tyler D'Angelo is going to be out for a while uh, in, in Carolina. Um, I, I'm hearing at least a month. Um, could be longer. Um, now you're the Carolina Hurricanes who've built your season on really shutting, another, shutting other teams. I mean, they, they outshoot everybody, right? They don't, they don't give up shots. Their, their goalies have been, have been playing well. Um, and they kind of turned over that defense when you really look at it. I mean, they have a couple of, of guys who've been there for a while, but for the most part, they've turned over their defense and, and D'Angelo has been, has been a big part of that. Are they now in the market for a defenseman? Because they think that they're a Stanley Cup team for sure. They're in the market for a defenseman, but if you're, if you're feeling D'Angelo's role, I'm going to give you the name that they've been after is Chick. Yeah. They're going to spend on Chickren because we know that for as shrewd as Waddle, is in that front office and that ownership in Carolina, they, they spend on certain guys. And I think that they looked into Eichel thing, like they were going to spend on Eichel. And I think Chicken's another name that they'll spend on. He plays the offensive side of the defense, uh, the, the blue line. He fills that role kind of beautifully. So if they're going to make a defensive move, I would say Chicken over anything else, you know, if you want me to react to that kind of live. Here. Okay. Yeah. I think that's the name. Yeah. Fair enough. All right. So let's I just get think to it's, the, uh... it's going to get interesting. It's just going to get, it's going to get really interesting over the next three weeks. Let's get to the the last name on the list. And NRD, I know you're tight for time, so we gotta we gotta try to get this one in under the wire. Claude Giroux. There are um, a lot of reports that have been going around about whether he has or hasn't, and whether the team has or hasn't uh, provided a list of potential teams, or whether the player has said that he would waive his no movement clause for these three teams or these five teams, he said publicly that he hadn't done it to, you know, I guess as of last week, but that he would have to sit down with Chuck and decide what's best for him and what's best for the organization, which very clearly seems to indicate, yes, he's going to waive if he hasn't already done. So what are you hearing and how likely is it that he's dealt any time between now and the deadline? I know what you want. I know what Ant wants. And I'm here to kind of be the referee and set the scene of what's actually going to happen, or at least what I think is going to happen from what I know. I don't think it happens today or tomorrow. I think it happens close to the deadline. I think he does play as a thousand thousandth game as a member of the Philadelphia Flyers. Maybe for, you know, sentimental reasons, maybe not. I just think that that's the nature of the beast and that's what's going to end up happening here. As far as the, the sit down with Chuck Fletcher, he's aware of, you know, what Claude's intentions are. We know through Elliot and other people that 
Drew's camp has, has had the permission to kind of seek out fits and self-recruit, if you will, around the league and see who's interested and see where he might be interested in going. We know Colorado is obviously one of that team, uh, one of those teams is familiar with Nathan McKinnon, got a lot of friends there and fit would fit right in there. So Chuck Fletcher's aware. Has there been a conversation where the two of them have sat down in Chuck's office and said, okay, here's the list. There's five teams. This is where I want to go to. It's exclusive here. I don't think that conversation's happened yet. So I'll give, you know, Chuck Fletcher the benefit of the doubt there. I think they're being honest. I think it's a little bit of lip, lip service, a little bit of, you know, literal honesty in the sense that that formal conversation hasn't happened yet. But Chuck Fletcher knows who he's got to talk with. He knows the teams that he has, you know, to talk Turkey with on, in terms of this deal. And I think that's continually going on. I think, and I tweeted this out yesterday, I think where this happens, what, what goes on from here on out is talks continue to happen. Nothing's imminent. Though you could say things are probably hotter with Colorado than anybody else. Obviously, Danny B was out in Colorado. You know, Sackick's crew has been scouting the Flyers heavily here. So there's been back and forth going on between the two teams, probably stronger than any other suitor right now for, for Giroux services. But I think this gets to close to the deadline, whether it's after that 1,000th game, right before wherever. Chuck says, hey, Giroux and co., I have this kind of worked out with a couple of these teams. I had a feeling you were good with these teams, right? And Drew says yes, and then they kind of centralize in and figure out what that final deal looks like. I don't think there needs to be a – I think it's one of those things that it's like it's the elephant in the room. It's the elephant in our room right now. We're, we're having to talk about it. It's the elephant in the Flyers organization too. I think it's implied what Drew is kind of looking for. I think Chuck knows the writing's on the wall, blah, blah, blah. You can say all that. So I think Chuck is going ahead. He's got a clue. He, he listens. He reads the media. He knows what, you know, the Drew camp's putting out there. He knows um, – he knows half – he knows where – he has to seek a deal with. And I think that that's what he's going to do. It's going to get closer to the deadline. And then Chuck's going to hit up the Drew Cam and be like, I worked at a deal. I, I have a good, I have a good path to a deal with these four organizations. You were cool with these teams. Right. And then Chuck finds the best one for the Philadelphia Flyers organization at that point, you know, a couple of days before the deadline. Yeah. I mean, and that, that's a pretty good uh, uh, way of describing it. NRD. I mean, really, I mean, in all honesty, that's what it's been so far. I mean, look, Chuck's been talking to Pat Brisson for a couple months now. I mean, he if we go back to the press conference that he gave uh, with Dave Scott, which was in early January, um, they said, I mean, he even said then that he had talked to Pat and had been talking to Pat. Um, so I guess mid-January that was. But uh, anyway, uh, the point is, is that, you know, th these conversations have been going on for a while. And, and, you know, like you said, they're, they're not lying to us. Um, there hasn't been that sit down in the general manager's office conversation, but they do, they, they are in communication as to where the, the potential suitors are, um, who they think the best fits are, and they'll make an ultimate, the only thing I would add to what you said is if, if Chuck has three or four possibilities, I think that he'll call Claude in and say, just, just as a, you know, you're a, a, a franchise icon. We want to do right by you. What's your preference? Not to say that it's going to be that way, but if you had a preferred order, one, two, three, four, what would they be? We will try to make it work that way in that we will try to progress in that order. I, I think that's the one addition that to what you said but other than that i think that you're spot on um that that's exactly how this is going and yeah i'm starting to believe i keep hearing more and more that he's going to play march 17th game 1000 
um, at Wells Fargo. Now, will he play the next night in Ottawa? That I don't think. I think that's when the trade's going to happen. I think what, I think that game 1000 is a big celebration of Claude Giroux in Philadelphia. And he sits out the next night. Not saying he's going to be traded the next day, but I don't think he plays after that game. I think that's when he's, we're going to, we're going to hold Claude out of the lineup and something gets done over the course of the next three days uh, before the trade deadline. Yes. I think that that is hundred percent correct at this point. Plot twist. He comes out the next day with the senators unmasks. It was me, Austin. <laughs> it was me all along. So NRD, like I, I have a legitimate issue with the way that the Flyers fan base. Well, no, let me say, let me rephrase this. Not the whole Flyers fan base, the way that some of the Flyers fan base is viewing the end of the Claude Giroux era. Um, I, I, I don't know if this happens with every fan base. I don't know if like some of these, these groups of Flyers fans are the only ones that suffer from Stockholm syndrome, but like, it, it's a very real thing with the Flyers fans when it comes to Claude Giroux with certain groups of Flyers fans. I said yesterday on Twitter that if there hasn't been a list exchanged at this point, if there haven't been conversations of these are some of the teams that Claude might be willing to go to, or that the Flyers haven't, if that had been the case, if if there really was no kind of communication from the agent that was kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge, Colorado would be okay. Florida might be okay. That if that hadn't come from Giroux's camp, that if the Flyers hadn't on their own kind of gone to the agent and said, hey, just so we're doing due diligence here, would he be interested in XYZ as a destination? Like if that hasn't happened, that's a, that's a real issue. Because at this point, getting closer to the deadline and knowing that like there is a potential, as there is with any player on any team in any professional sports league, any distance out from the trade deadline, there is inherent risk in playing a player. Whether it's in a game, a practice, they take the ice, they get hurt, blows up trade value, the whole thing you know, comes undone. I'm not sentimental on the thousandth game. I'm not Claude Giroux. Maybe it means something to him. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. But the idea that like this team or this player wouldn't have had some kind of conversation through the intermediary of an agent seems like insane to me. And the, these like Stockholm people said, well, Claude Giroux doesn't owe it to the Flyers to let them know which teams he might be interested in. Claude Giroux doesn't owe the Flyers anything. He spent all this time here. He's been a model citizen. He gets to do whatever the hell he wants. He should get to do whatever he wants. I mean, contractually, he can. He has a no movement clause. But he should. And, you know, the hell with the Flyers. It doesn't matter what's best for the Flyers. We're Claude Giroux, baby. We're Team Giroux. How dare you even question his motives? Am I nuts for, for pointing out that there is a potential of injury and that like maybe the 1000 game milestone isn't what's in the best interest of the organization. Am I nuts? I'm going to let NRD an answer NRD. it. I'm going to, I'm going to let him answer it. But the, the, the first thing I'm just going to say before, before he speaks is yes, you're nuts. Go ahead. NRD. Go ahead. Well, there's one point you made in that uh, soliloquy that you had on Claude Giroux and the Stockholm syndrome flyer, uh, flyers fence. That stood out to me and I can just kind of close off that point and tell you what I know. I don't know how much the, uh, the a thousandth career game as a Philadelphia Flyer means to Drew, but I, do, I will tell you what I know means a lot to his camp and his family. And that's if he's going to make a deep playoff run with the team, he wants to be away from them as short as possible, least amount of time as possible and away from his home in Philadelphia. 
And I think that more than the, the game 1000 itself plays a factor in when this deal gets done is, you know, if he moves tomorrow, that's all, that's another month that he's kind of familiarized himself in a new location, a new system, be away from his base here in Philadelphia. So that's, that's one thing I just wanted to, you know, answer to that point. I don't know if it's necessarily the game as much as being away for the shortest amount of time possible means something there. And I know that to be a fact. Yeah. I think you're nuts Um, to that point. Sorry. I just got to, you know, give my opinion here. He doesn't necessarily know anything, but then he doesn't owe them anything. But then again, that being said, you know, it's the, it's the group of, it. I will agree to your point that you root for the flyers, not necessarily the player. I understand what Claude Giroux has meant to this organization and this fan base for, for so many years, for 15 years now, almost that, you know, but then again, you root for the team. And I think you would want the best, what's best for the organization of the team over a player. I mean, there's going to be many Claude Giroux in the future. There has been Claude Giroux in the past, and there will be Claude Giroux going forward for this organization. Hopefully there's brighter times ahead. And whoever the next Claude Giroux is lifts the Stanley Cup here in black and orange. So that, I agree to your point, is a little crazy. But rounding it all up, he has no movement clause. He's earned that, and he can do kind of whatever the hell he wants. Let me, let me, let me, let me dive into that just to, just a hair further as to Ross's craziness. Um, by pulling Claude Giroux out of the lineup right now, didn't say that you actually you no 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 no. You said by playing him, you're you're putting you're putting it at risk. So therefore, there's no reason. Like the one thousandth game, it shouldn't matter, right? So so what's so what's so what's your what are you trying to say? It's point? not pulling. Like, I'm saying I'm saying that if I'm looking at this from the perspective of here's a Philadelphia Flyer fan who should yeah. actively care about the Philadelphia Flyers. And not yeah. necessarily the best interest of the player, for better or worse. Everybody's a human being. We talk about this on the show. Fine. I don't think they should pull him from the lineup. I'm saying I think there should be more expediency in trying to get him dealt. Because okay, you can't so pull him. If you, okay, if you pull him fine. from the lineup, if you okay, pull him from the lineup, more expedience. It, 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 could, good, good. It, could, it could kill that's his fine. value. It yeah. could burn a bridge with Guess him. What? It could be Guess a black what? eye the on the organization. Ex- it's more, expediency, more expediency is killing his value. Because teams, you're, you're, you always look at it from the perspective of one team. You never look at it from the perspective of the other team. And the other team has to look at it and say, when can we make this deal for financial purposes? When can it, when does this work for us that we have to bring in an $8.25 million contract? Granted, they don't owe him that much money, but it has to still fit under their cap. And every team operates, the salary cap is so complex in hockey that it's, 95% of the people don't understand it. I don't even understand it completely, but I, you know, I, I, I like to think I have a little bit more of an understanding of it than the common fan. Um, but at the same time, this is op- what the, most, most fans don't realize is that the salary cap is handled on a daily basis. It is not a yearly thing. So you can't just sit there and say, well, his cap hits 8.25 million. Well, yes, it is over the course of the season. Yes, it is in very layman's terms, but the team itself operates on a salary cap day to day and how that cap maneuvers. That's why you see so many teams send guys down and bring them back up emergency situations, who goes on LTIR, blah, blah, blah. All that stuff kind of, they're juggling nickels and dimes in there to try and make enough room for themselves to make moves at the deadline. So when you look at it, the other teams may not want to want Claude Giroux right now. Look, if another team said to, if another team wanted Claude Giroux today and made the Flyers their best offer, do you think the Flyers would just go, 
and eh, we're going to wait till March 17th. I don't think so. I think that there would be a, there would be a discussion about maybe we do it right now. But what you're forgetting is, is that the other teams have to make it work for them. And if, if it doesn't work for them until closer to the deadline, then that's it. And so therefore, when you say expediency, if, you ins- if you're insisting that you have to move him by a certain date, you're, you're only hurting what your return is going to be because you're therefore eliminating some teams from being involved in the conversation. And to that point, really quick, the two teams that we know are hot after this guy, uh, Colorado and Florida, both are identical in cap hits right now. They both had uh, actually have it up right in front of me. Colorado's at 81.373 and Florida's at 81.375 million in cap hits. So to that point, they need that daily accrual of cap space till we get to March 21st to make that deal too. And both those teams are tight. It's going to be by the deadline. I think both those teams will have roughly 3.65 and deadline space available to play with, you know, obviously money can go in, money can go out LTR can happen before then, but you know, it is tight for, for both those teams that we know are interested in the services. Yeah. And that's all it is, Ross. And I, I think in, in a, in a simplistic view, and I'm not trying to make you sound like a simpleton, but in a simplistic view, what you're saying is 100% makes sense. Like, I mean, I, I, wouldn't agree, I wouldn't disagree with you otherwise. Like, I would say, yeah, like, we know he's going to be traded. Like, the season's over. Why are we dragging this out? Why are we risking this? So you can't pull him from the lineup because it hurts his value. But at the same time, you can't force him to be traded sooner. So, you know, you, you, you don't have that, you don't have that kind of the luxury. You have the authority, but I mean, but you don't, you, you don't, you don't have that, that card to play in other words, because of the way that the salary cap works. And so I think that's the only, that's the only reason why, I mean, I don't, I don't think that otherwise, I think what you're suggesting is logical. It just doesn't, it's just not how business is operated, especially in the era of the flat cap in the NHL. Does that help? Sure. <laughs> it helps with the, it helps it helps with those two teams for sure. Are there other teams that have cap space or that could make a deal work before the deadline? Well, uh, let's would, talk about this. One, one, one would have to say this. yes because I I can't well, imagine that those are the only two teams that are interested. And it well, NRD like correct me right. if I'm wrong, but there there has been rumor mongering maybe coming out of the cal- the the um the Colorado side of things that might indicate that they've kind of cooled on Giroux, at least in the the interim, because if they are going to make this move, they're going to have to accrue all of that cap space leading up. It does tie their, their hands. They will not have flexibility unless they make some other corresponding moves prior to the deadline. So maybe it's not advantageous for them to put all of their eggs in this basket in the event that like, it doesn't work out. Like in the event that Claude Giroux says, you know what, actually there, there are two other teams that I'd be okay to move to. And if it's better for the flyers, whatever, cool, I'm gone. Like I could understand if Colorado just kind of said, look, we, this is kind of where we're at right now. If the idea or part of the idea is we're going to try to hang on so that we can have more teams involved, we can have Florida and Colorado involved, but ultimately like Colorado a week before the deadline just says, listen, sorry, but like we're out, then maybe you haven't wasted your time, but there are other teams that could potentially be in. Are there any teams that haven't been brought up in the national conversation to this point that might be doing more than just a cursory poking around to see what they, what a deal might look like from their side. Not serious in terms of the two that we've mentioned, 
but there are teams that we've heard in both local Philadelphia circles and local other city circles, as well as national circles. I mean, you think of St. Louis Blues, the Minnesota Wild, the Carolina Hurricanes, the New York Rangers, the Boston Bruins. Like, there are teams that are going to – there's there's 16 playoff teams. There should be 16 teams interested in Claude Drew. Let's just put it that way. Whether they have the space or not, there's 16 teams that should place a phone call because he's, he's good and he's playing great this year. Kudos to him. And he's worth it. So, yeah, there should be more teams than what we know about in the national circle interested. But if you look at those teams that I just mentioned, I mean, when I know about St. Louis and there's been questions to whether St. Louis wants to go down that path and acquire Giroux, I think the thing there is Doug Armstrong is not necessarily looking to move off that roster right now. Like he's happy with what they got. He's happy with the guys that he's middle on the ice with heading into the playoffs. The only way I could see a Giroux deal really heating up with St. Louis is if, and I don't know if they want to move him, but if a team like an Edmonton Oilers organization steps up and pays big for Billy Huso in that, and now you have assets to play with and you say, all right, Bennington's been through a rough stretch, but we're going to stick with him in that. We got another backup that could fill the role. Huso is now in Edmonton. We have two first round picks here in St. Louis, and now we have flexibility. Then I could see St. Louis really ramping up and getting serious in this. Short of that, I don't know if St. Louis is going to get that done. Obviously, Chuck Fletcher has a great relationship there. We know how close the Tarasenko stuff was in the offseason. But now Tarasenko's there. They're playing decently. You know, Jordan Cairo's coming into his own. He's a superstar. So I don't know if they want to necessarily shake things up too much. Minnesota, I, you know, originally was told Minnesota's in play. Now listening to people who are closer to the Minnesota Wild and probably smarter than me on their daily, daily ops, um, day-to-day ops, I should say. I have a little bit more trepidation there. Potentially they're involved just to raise the price for their central division counterparts. So you look at them and say, maybe they're out, you know, Carolina now with the news of Tony D'Angelo, maybe their assets go towards a defenseman, namely Jacob Chikrin. Boston. I think it's an interesting name. I have no clue what Claude Giroux can't, how they feel about Boston potentially being in the mix. I don't really know what Boston has to give. I know when looking at the teams that are involved comparatively, they probably have the weaker, the most weak um, prospect pool and assets to give. And then you talk about the New York Rangers who I'm, I'm sure are interested in the player. I just don't think the division tax is something that they want to pay. Granted Carolina is in the division too, but I think there's an intrinsic value built into trading a guy like Claude Giroux to the New York Rangers. There's a tolerance level for the fan base and the organization to see him wear red and blue. And I think that there's a tax built in. And I don't know if Chris Jury wants to pay that just because Chris Jury is up to a lot of different things right now. I mean, I'm a little colder than other people on the JT Miller stuff, but He's into Hurdle, he's into Giroux, he's into JT Miller, Chikrin, Sherratt, Lekkanen. Like, Rangers have so much going on that I don't know if their focus is on Giroux either. So, yeah, there's other teams that are interested, and we could talk about them, but I think so far the hot names are the hot names. And, I, and I've said this before. This is why you just hear everybody kind of saying Colorado and Florida. There's a reason why all these reporters are mentioning it, because those are the two teams right now. They're the hottest after. And maybe that changes. This is this is a, um, it's a very fluid thing. I know it's the favorite phrase of the checkmark insiders is fluidity in this time of year, but it is, it's a very fluid situation and things are just going to continue to evolve the closer we get and the more that cap space accrues for these teams. Yeah. I, I think you're spot on. I really do. Um, the only, the only playoff team that has really not been mentioned that has the money right now, that if you want to talk about somebody who could come in and, and make Russ happy and, and make the kind of move to, to get Claude Giroux and suddenly make their team legit is Nashville. They got cap space. They could come in and just be like, boom, they could use a player like that. But I don't necessarily think that's a place that Claude would want to go. They do have another guy available. 
if, if you listen to the word of Andy Strickland as of last night. Who's that? So I don't know what Nashville's up to. Apparently, Philip Forsberg is in play for them. Wow. So, and, and I, you know, everybody knows I love tooting my horn, and I apologize. I try to, I try to cut back on it now. The more NRT See, evolved over the years, but I did mention very early on in the iteration of the Cold Stove podcast that that was one of the names that I had heard, regardless of Nashville being in the playoffs around, I think David Poyle's ready to kind of see what's out there for Philip Forsberg and he's serious this time. So yeah, who knows if Claude's willing to go there, but if Nashville's willing to shake things up and retool on the fly while they're in the hunt, then might be a conversation that has to be had between Claude and Pat Brisson. Yeah. Final question I have for you before we wrap this thing up. Um, Look at this guy. He comes in late. Now he's dictating terms on the end. Well, of the, it's uh, been an hour for that, me. No, I'm not coming in late. I, who knows how long you guys went on? Um, wh- what is his value? What's the trade value for Drew? Like, what do you like? I look back. You know, the last time the Flyers sucked this bad, they had Forsberg, and very similar time in their careers, very similar numbers um, that they are putting up at this point in a very bad season. Both were going to be free agents at the end of the season. So it's very, the situation is almost identical. Um, and the Flyers were able to get from Nashville at the time, a first round pick, a prospect who didn't pan out in Ryan Parent, and an NHL level player in Scotty Upshaw. I think there was a third round. There might have been a third round pick in there too, if I'm not mistaken. Because they eventually they traded the first round pick back to Nashville to get the, the rights to negotiate with Tiemann and, and Hartnell. But um, anyway, is that fair value for him? Or are we at a different time where maybe Drew doesn't get that much? No, I, I, I actually, you know, it's great historical, you know, marking of what took place in the past. Really, and, and here we go. I'm going to throw out some names, but just be yeah. careful. This is more so discussions and everything's fluid so don't take yeah. this to the bank yet but if you're talking colorado yeah it's close you're talking you know a jost who's an nhl ready player yeah. you're talking a drew hellison or or a baron right yeah. and you're talking a first they don't have a first this year or a first in value in terms of a prospect so yeah i think you're right on with the one the nhl player and the prospect florida you know i see the interesting thing about Giroux is because he kind of holds the cards in the nmc here and there's only a certain amount of teams that are going to be able to get this done it's hard to set a market value, right? It's going to be a case-by-case basis of what these teams are willing to give up. And I think that in co- just because we have a little bit more insight into Colorado because those talks have been going on for, for the amount of time that they have now, I think you're, you're pretty close. You're on that first range. I don't know if Florida, uh, Colorado is a 2023 first. I know they don't have this year's first. You have a first. You have a you know, guy like a Ty Jost, and you have a, um, you have a Drew Hellison. Let's just say that. I think that's close to kind of that, that – package that you just named for Forsberg I think you're in that ballpark yeah I, I mean looking at Florida they're in a similar situation as Colorado in that they don't have draft picks in 2022 they don't have them on but they have Owen Tippett yeah, well, tip yes they do yes yeah. so that you know you you sit there and say does that replace the draft pick it probably does um so it's it, to me it's interesting like I mean it's just the whole thing is just really I, I, I think that that's, I, I think that that's what we're looking at. I think ultimately you're going to, it's going to be a draft pick, a, a, a NHL player and a, and a prospect or in lieu of the draft pick, a second prospect. Um, 
I hope fans are just good with it. You know, I don't think that the Flyers are going to get held over a barrel here. I think that they hold the advantage. I think that they know what the value of the player is. And I think that moving between moving Drew, Ristolainen, and I, did you, I'm, I don't know if, did you guys talk about Justin Braun? Um, we did. Beforehand, like I, Braun's going to get you a decent draft pick as well. Um, whether it's a, th- I mean, I think it's, the three. Th- it's right now it's, it's a, a three. three. But you know what? It, actually it, it could be really it could great. be as high as a two. It I could compared be. it to the uh reminded me of the Adam McQuaid trade from the Rangers to Columbus a couple yeah. of years prior. It was a three and a five for McQuaid. Yeah. yeah. So that I think is the range for Justin Brown. Yeah, that's probably that's probably right. That's probably right. Um although hey, there's good news the here. Islanders... And, and I, I do have good news because yeah. we that the, you put all those together, you're getting a bunch of draft picks back. And luckily for the Flyers, they have a GM who has an amazing track record in the draft. Right now, Minnesota Wild, pretty good team. On that roster, Kaprizov, Erickson Eck, Dumba, uh, uh, Brodeen, Greenway, mm-hmm. Duhine, and even the backup goalie, Kakinen, all drafted by, uh, by Chuck and, and Brent. They also signed Jared Spurgeon way back when, when he was drafted by the Islanders, I believe, never signed. And then they brought him in as a tryout and they gave him a contract before he ever played game one. And Marcus Foligno, who I believe was a, a trade that, uh, that Chuck made, acquired him. That's half their team. That's half the team that's, you know, playing pretty, some pretty good hockey this year out in the Western Conference and is, is, considers themselves a Stanley Cup contender. You know, I, 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 there's not many GMs who throw that together. They're all, the, they're all Chuck and Brent's guys. So it's, it's hard to sit there and say that they've not drafted well when there's a team in the NHL that they've kind of sort of been involved with putting together. Yeah, there's other players that have been brought in that are good players that make that team go as well. But if half that roster is theirs, they got some fingerprints on it. NRD, thank you as always for being on the show. What should people do to find you and to follow you on the social media? On the, uh, on the Twitters, we're still holding it down at NHL Rumors Daily, NRD. Still stuff is coming there, but the new venture that you alluded to at the beginning of the show, the, uh, the Cold Stove Podcast, at Cold Stove Pod on Twitter. It's available everywhere you find your podcast, Apple, Spotify, you know, anything out there that produces podcasts, we're on there. And we uh, rip it weekly, me and my co-host, Brett Merriman, a little bit more of a league-wide um, scope look at the, the news around the league and the rumors that you come to know and love from my Twitter feed on Twitter. We go a little bit more in depth there. So if you want to find me, I suggest you head over there and I appreciate all the support as always. Great. Stuff. Absolutely. You guys, do, you guys do a great job over there. Really appreciate love it. it. Really love it. Make sure you follow NRD. Make sure you subscribe to The Cold Stove. It's a great podcast. And it's a place that you can go to get real, honest feedback, takes on hockey, takes on the biggest storylines going on in hockey and what's happening behind the scenes. So again, a big thank you to NRD. We will be back, I suppose, next week. Hopefully the Flyers will do something of value that we can talk about on this show. Otherwise, it's all hypotheticals from now until a month from now. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week on Snow the Goalie.